Welcome to Unapologetic Leadership. I am your host, Dr. Marcus Beelan. I am a principal, a father of three, a husband, and I am driven by my passion of educating young people. The goal of this podcast is to expose the listeners to practical concepts and ideas through the lens of practitioners who are doing the work every single day for kids. You see, we as educators make decisions for our kids and our staff. And if we make decisions that we believe are in the best interest of our kids and our staff, we should be proud, we should walk tall and be unapologetic in our leadership. Topics such as diversity, equity and inclusion, school culture, student voice and leadership experiences are among some of the content you will hear. This is just honest and truthful conversation. These messages are meant to be impactful for those who need it as well as those who are put into positions that impact the lives of young people. It's time to strengthen the pipeline for educators. It's time to dismantle systemic issues and bolster school culture where our youth are seen and heard in the learning environment of their schools. So let's begin to explore and journey through unapologetic leadership. What's up, listeners? It's Dr. Beelan. I am here with a great friend of mine, uh, Dr. Ephraim Martinez, uh, who is a principal, uh, a, a leader, a speaker, um, just an awesome guy that, that has uh, some great insight uh, into the world of education. Um, I got to see Dr. Martinez present uh, at an Illinois Principals Association conference uh, and was just sitting there listening to some of the, the knowledge he was dropping. It was awesome. Uh, and so I've just kind of followed his work and he is uh, taking over uh, a brand new middle school, beautiful middle school. And uh, I'm going to give him the opportunity to introduce himself and talk a little bit about uh, who he is, what he does and uh, his journey in education up until this point. Dr. Martinez, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Marcos Berlin. Uh, such an uh, honor to be here. Um, I, I am such an admirer of your work. Uh, you have been recognized by so many institutions. You lead a school with so many more students than mine. So it's all admiration from here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. Thank you. So I, um, I came from Puerto Rico when I was um, 18. Uh, thinking I wanted to be a college professor. Um, I wanted to be a professor of Spanish literature and I was so into it. Um, and when I came, uh, when I finished my bachelor's, I went to a very small university called California University of Pennsylvania, which is one hour <laughs> south of Pittsburgh. I know everybody asked me, California? Uh, and um, that's where I really um, uh, improved my English skills. When I arrived at 18, I, I barely spoke the language, even though I, I took English classes since I was in kindergarten. In Puerto Rico, everybody does. But it's just like one class. So it's like that Spanish class or that French class that people take and they forget. And um, I, it was quite a roller coaster to really um, improve my English. I, I'm still an English learner. Um, I came to Chicago, did a master's and, um, in, in what is called Hispanic studies, which is basically the literature and culture of Spain and Latin America. And I had the opportunity to teach 
to undergrad students in exchange of my master's tuition. So that's where I started to gain uh, the love of teaching, of instructing others. And um, when I was about to graduate, I got two news uh, at the same time. One, I was getting a full ride for a PhD in performance studies at Northwestern University. Wow. And I was failing my master's degree comprehensive exam. So that was uh, like, a, like it, I was like torn apart mm -hmm. and I decided to, to leave the world of academia and leave everything that had to do with education. I was, I think, angry at the world for having failed that test when in reality I failed because I didn't study. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, because I'm a principal today, that doesn't mean I was the best student. I got married and got the first job I could get that was as a database coordinator at Rush University. So I was in an office, um, all depressed, all like sad with life because I was doing something that I, that I was not meant to. I was so depressed that the day I realized that I had a problem was when I someone told me, oh, you have two different types of shoes. And when I look, in fact, yes, I had two black shoes, but they were different. I was, <laughs> my mental health was that low. Wow. The one thing that I really got from that job was I had to deliver mail and sandwiches to the physicians when they had their professional learning. So I had to go pick it up, bring it, put it in a table for them, or I had to deliver mail through all the departments in medicine. And when I will see them learning, the thing I got from them is the respect that they had for each other. They yeah. all, all of them call each other, Dr. So-and-so. They're learning their conversations. They were so fructiferous, so uh, passionate. And it really didn't hit me until much later when I started leading PD and learning and improving on myself and saying, if you are going to be uh, the best in your field, you need to take professional learning so uh, seriously. And I, I really took that with me uh, to the education field. After working in several hospitals, I got into a fellowship, Chicago Teaching Fellows, which was basically uh, like um, do your certification over the summer, over the year, and you can start teaching. So since I had taught in, in UIC where I was doing my master's, uh, I got a, a, a job in Chicago Public Schools as a Spanish teacher. And I first was a high school teacher thinking that that was where I was meant to be. Mm -hmm. But Marcus, I couldn't connect with students. I don't know, maybe my experience as a high school student in Puerto Rico was not as, as advanced in terms of what children had access to in the inner city of Chicago. And I couldn't connect. So I kept failing, failing until my second year just like that master's that I had failed, I was told, you know what, we're going to close your position. Uh, you're not the best educator. And again, angry at the world. Everybody's wrong. I'm not right. 
and I happened to land a job in the middle school. And that's where I found my niche because the experiences of an average American uh, student in the middle school was almost uh, the same that I had as a high school student in Puerto Rico. And maybe wow. that was what I was looking for. So That's middle school. That's an interesting uh, like dynamic because here, like middle school, I always tell, say to people like, you got to be a special person to be with middle schoolers. And I mean, I, they say the same thing about high schoolers and I'm sure you can say the same thing about every level, but to make a parallel from like one education system to the other and that is it. Wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I wish you would have known, so I didn't waste uh, people's time and my time uh, and those students' education um, because the middle school was that place where I would just connect with students, my dorkiness, my, my flamboyant attitude, my thing just connected. And I felt very, um, very comfortable there. So I taught middle school for, for a, a while. And then I had different experiences that made me uh, take uh, that type 75, that administration. I really wanted to be a principal because when I was a child, the person that influenced me the most was the discipline um, uh, principal because I was always in the office. So <laughs> those conversations that I had that were beyond the classroom were the ones that really impacted me the most. And, you know, I'm a, a philosopher. I, I, I try to, 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 to bring the factors of emotional intelligence into the conversation with students. So it was like a, a great connection. I became a assistant principal then of a K to eight school. And immediately Marcus, I started failing, failing badly. And I couldn't understand why, because in grad school you learn all these things and they tell you to, to that leadership looks like this and that. And I will do exactly like that. And people were all upset. And, and I brought that failure with me all to the principalship where I thought that being a principal included pissing off every single person in the building. <laughs> and when I became a principal, I also upset parents. Yeah. And parents were pissed. Um, and again, me blaming the world I like I, how is this possible so I decided I need to get and keep my education because obviously I am not cooking this meal in a way that can really keep people in peace and calm mm -hmm. and I took a class and the first thing this professor says Dr. Richard Smith National Lewis he was reading a quote and it went like this Emotional intelligence is the sine qua non of leadership. And Marcus, and they got me a sine qua non. That was the part that was like, what the heck is that? Mm -hmm. So I started Googling and I started searching and it says, the ability to understand your own emotions and the emotions of others. And that's where it landed in my mind. Say, like, listen, I am not even thinking how what I'm saying 
is landing in the people that I'm trying to lead. Wow. So I, <laughs> yeah, I started this journey of learning emotional intelligence and, and those five components, which are self-awareness, uh, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. So I decided I'm gonna do my doctoral dissertation on this because I need to find out more. And I added how people in other professions deal with this stress because being a principal in the pandemic is like being a physician in an emergency room. You don't know what you're gonna get when those doors open, right? Yeah. Day as day you know, Marcus, different and crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you know, Marcus, Trauma lives in both wealth and poverty. Mm -hmm. So we have to address both. And um, I got to learn how nurses, how people in the Air Force, how police officers and firefighters are trained on how to address these things and how that was missing in the educational field. And <clears throat> everything, like I, it went from a principal who was upsetting, for example, um, uh, immigrant populations being labeled uh, an anti-immigrant principal to being principal of the year. Like that, that was those, those years in transitions were transformational. And I can only say that what really got me out of that hole and into the right path was learning that the reason why I was upsetting people is because of the way I was saying things. So I learned that I can tweak the way, I can humanize my requests. I can understand that for me to lead people, I cannot expect everyone to be scoring 45 points per game because you also need people who take the rebound you also need the people to do good defense and everybody has something good in them. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you work towards that, towards improving the, the, the teacher where they're at, then that teacher is going to be um, happy working in the building, which translates into good uh, education. So uh, I worked in this school, Orozco Academy, where we taught that when you do good things, good things happen and we achieve everything, the scores, the personalized learning, the social emotional learning, meditating every day. It was uh, such a, a glorious time, which I thought I will never leave. This is, this is the place where I'm gonna stay. It's 20 minutes from my home. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful school community. Um, I was about to get renewed for a third four-year contract. Um, it, it was everything conducent towards that until what I call the voice of reason called me, Mike Lubelfeld, and contacted me and said something that I translated like, we want you to come and do your art in Northwood Middle School. So immediately I'm like, me leaving Orozco, no way. Going to a suburban school that is about an hour away from my home. What I'm gonna do that? And of course, I see the building. It's uh, is the as is the 
most modern school building in the state of Illinois as of right now, as of this yeah. moment. This so was of just course, built. This was just built like uh, what last year? Last year, kind of during during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was gorgeous. So that attracted me, of course. You know, it's a beautiful building. So I went a couple of times and drove and parked. You know, I didn't want to be like a stalker, but I wanted to see how how it felt. You know, and I and I start um, researching the school and and the history. You know, a school with uh, five principles in seven years. Whoa. And it's like, immediately it's a red flag. It's like, why is this happening? So when I keep digging in and I realize that this is a school that has the, the issue of the 21st century of finding equitable access to education for every student. And I realized that that was my life's mission to work towards um, improving equitable access to every student. And um, <clears throat> I went through the interview process and all those, all those things. And as I was meeting the staff and knowing more about the middle school specifically, because I, I used to be a principal for six years of a school of pre-K to eighth grade. So leaving that area of pre-K to fifth grade was like, a, you know, many times when I was feeling sad, I would just go sit down in a kindergarten classroom. <laughs> and, and the part that really was like, okay, you still can get that is because right behind Northwood Middle School, like literally the neighbor school, like I can walk, it takes me uh, a minute, is a kindergarten to a fifth grade building called Wayne Thomas. So I, had, I could have access to see the little babies if I wanted to. And um, I decided to move. And um, it has been um, amazing. It has been yeah. starting all over. You know, you come with imposter syndrome is, is real. So you come and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I believe I can do all these things, you know, but um, it's like, like, I don't know, um, when Jordan left basketball for baseball, <laughs> I was feeling like, I have worked in this urban district for 12, 13 years, and now going to the suburbs. There's all these preconceptions that you have that as an urban educator, you won't make it as a suburban educator, or that you come with a, with a only of priority of discipline. And then, uh, no, uh, the em embracement that I have felt has been fantastic. And um, there's so many things that uh, we're working on, on being, um, bringing, disrupting the educational system because the pandemic has done exactly that, yeah. you know? And none of us have received, um, unless you maybe graduated uh, this year, none of us have received a true education on how to lead an educational system when, uh, you have to uh, do contact tracing, for example, which is mm -hmm. something that that can be life or death defining, you know, and you have to put things on the side and at, at the same time maintain that courage and grace to lead people uh, with their humanity first. Man, that is 
That's an awesome story. I'm just sitting here listening to the connection of life experiences, right? That have, you know, every everybody has a story and 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 the the chapters within each person's book are so different, right? And there's a lot of people who um, you know, who who talk about their journey and it's like me, for example, like I didn't I I've had failures along the way and to just be open and honest and talking about those failures. And I do it with students, right? Like I test anxiety. I tell my kids all the time when it gets to that time, like, man, I had test anxiety. I was horrible. I got a 17 on my uh, uh, ACT twice, right? I uh, had challenges taking um, the state exams to just become a teacher. Like that did not define who I am today and what I'm able to do for kids and for the people in which I lead. Um, so failure, it's a part of the process. It's just, a, it's just a matter of how you grow from that failure. And, you know, what's interesting, you talked about your job at, at Rush and uh, professional learning. And I, I think you've had, to a degree, an opportunity to dip your toe into what the medical field is like, because that's what our schools are like right yes. now. Uh, we are, we're doctors, we're everything, we're contact tracers, we're calling people and learning about symptoms and learning about their stories, man, I know so much about students now through that process of, of uh, just connecting with families and the challenges in which they face now, it's, it is crazy. Um, you know, one of the biggest things you, you talked about um, that was a, uh, that was a spark for me is leading and leading by seeing people uh, and having that level of grace, having empathy, um, not taking what people would ideally believe a principal to be like, I'm a boss. I, I go in, I do this. I tell these, I just go tell people like, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this and not really seeing them as, as human beings. I think that's critical in learning your staff, uh, learning the people who, especially to the parallel you brought with uh, the game of basketball, right? Yeah. Like everybody can't score 45 points, right? You mm -hmm. can't expect them to do that. You have your rebounders. You have your people who sit on the bench uh, who just cheer everybody on. And I don't want people to sit on the bench and, and, and not be a part of the game, but sometimes they can sit back and watch the game, right? And they can, when you come back to the bench and coach talks to you and then you go and take your seat, Somebody leans over and they're like, okay, hey, here's what I've been seeing. Let me tell you about this. Coach has his view, but I have my view as like a colleague, as a player, as somebody who's on your same level. So, um, and that's teacher mentorship, right? So yes. I think that that is uh, bringing that parallel in was, uh, was, was awesome. Um, if you could talk a little bit about uh, just the culture and the environment at Northwood, uh, now that you have taken over, it's a brand new building. A brand new building brings about a reset. You know, when people say build it and they will come, uh, I'm sure that people have looked at the, the district and said, hey, I am moving to this district. They're progressive. They're doing X, Y, and Z, and I want to be a part of it. What was it like uh, opening the doors and for middle schoolers to look at a brand new building, which is beautiful? Um, and what does learning look like um, for those, those young people? Thank you. Um, so um, I, am, I am the type of principal who um, every morning, uh, I just like a game, when you're a coach, you just don't arrive to the court and you say, okay, let's play, right? You embrace your team, high five, how are you? So I go through all the, the hallways that it's like a labyrinth in this school. And um, 
uh, embracing the students, the staff. Good morning. How are you? Nice to see you. Um, and then you start seeing the, the instruction happening. And we have, we are very fortunate to have very small classrooms. Um, we have uh, teachers who, you know, who are highly dedicated in improving their instruction. We have uh, STEM teaching, we have uh, broadcasting, we have a lot of opportunities that um, the schools that I came from uh, didn't have. So for me, it's like, what a great way for our teachers to, to enhance our instruction. We are now in the process of redefining our approach because we all acknowledge that this pandemic has changed everything, right? And for example, we have seventh graders going into a science lab, not having any prior experience that a traditional sixth grader has of learning the basics of being in that actual, and we have very actual science lab and that deters us from continuing what we had planned because ideally a student is at a certain level and we have to start from scratch. But how do we do that when students come with uh, traumas that are not necessarily resolved and we are here ready to educate them, but they might not be ready to learn. So how can we bring the best of each student is by having trauma responsive intervention, professional learning for teachers, uh, having uh, cultural competency, uh, professional learning for the teachers so they can fine tune what they know and meet the students where they're at. Let me give you an example. Sometimes students arrive and the students are supposed to be writing paragraphs. But if the student arrives and they cannot write sentences and we continue trying to teach them paragraphs, then we're not going to meet them where they're at. So we are fine tuning what we are doing to meet the students where they're at and we can really uh, scaffold them to get to their place where they can be. So for doing that, we created a, a process of school improvement plan that has different components, right? Because one thing I learned as a brand new principal, and this is a lesson for aspiring principals, is that when you arrive to a school and you say that a faucet needs to be changed, people will not like it. But when people say that we need to change the faucet, then we all do kumbaya and we go towards the same destination. So one of the reasons I failed terribly as a first and second year principal was because I went and did all the changes without asking or talking to anyone. The first one mistake I did was to change the whole entire handbook based on my previous experiences without consulting anyone. And I was truly thinking, like when I think back, oh my God, how horrible. But I was truly thinking I was doing the right thing. I was truly thinking this is the way we have to go. But you cannot just change the song and expect everybody to, to dance to it. So we are, we, what we did in the previous school and we're doing the school, we gather everybody's input. And then we have a committee to kind of like merge all those things and create together as a community a two to three year plan 
with two to three priorities per year that are achievable, that they are built on each other. So we know where are we going. So we know how, what is the priority of the school in terms of addressing students that are living in a pandemic world that are connected directly or indirectly to trauma. And if we don't teach them how to address it, then we are creating citizens that are gonna be broken adults because it's gonna come across at some point in their lives on dealing with the idea of a society that is connected to a device the whole entire time, that their attention and their focus is being, is being stolen away by professional marketing people that know exactly how to sell you something for their interest and not the interest of the learning and development of a student. So how do we teach students, for example, to have empathy if we never talk about it? How do we teach students to have executive functioning skills, like planning long-term, like scheduling their life or even their day, if we assume that parents are teaching them at home? What we see in the middle school is that you have either a student or a wealthy that comes in a school in a test lab, but the parents are so busy that they don't have, there's no uh, input on, 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 on empathy or homework doing. And also the student who arrives in the yellow bus that for all their socioeconomic circumstances is lacking that knowledge too. So we can be here saying parents should do, parents should do, but that is like the physician telling the patient in the emergency room, you should have done. Yeah. Our job <laughs> is to get the yeah. student where they're at. Yep. and elevate their lives you know it's it's um the thought of and you hear a lot of this and i think um you know in my my area of growth um especially um living in a pandemic and we keep resorting to this topic of a pandemic just because it is it's the nature of what we are i'm getting ready to do some contact tracing once we finish this recording which is crazy on a saturday but um but the trauma, the trauma that this time period in the life of our young people has caused that they are unable to understand and process because all of what is being told to them and being done to them is nothing that they have control, just like what is being told to us by, uh, you know, local health department and state and federal uh, and the CDC and all of that, like, it's being told to us. And if you think about it in that way of like, look at all of what we're being told to do and forced to do and how upset and pissed off we are as leaders. Just think about kids and the receiving end of what, what they have to deal with, right? And they don't have any skin in the game in terms of conversation and, you know, hey, this is how we feel. This is what we believe should be done. Yep, they want things to go back to normal and they, they fight us on it all the time, but they don't understand the, 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 the depths, but no one has sat down to, to teach them um, and help them, you know, navigate through it. And you think about just what the pandemic has done. Think about the life experiences that our young people have gone through. I mean, the generations, generations uh, are experiencing, I, I, I'll put it to you like this. I couldn't imagine being a middle schooler uh, or a high schooler in the age of social media 
cell phone, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. Oh my God. Like I, I could not imagine being there and just some of the trauma that plays out for them, uh, you know, in those spaces. Uh, you also said uh, trauma um, uh, can be found in, in the wealthy Wealth, and, yeah. and, and poverty, right? And everything in between. It's just a matter of what, uh, of what that is and how we respond to it. And I think as educators, we have a, a responsibility uh, to try to connect with kids and understand that like, man, we can't take one brush uh, and paint one picture you know, we, we have uh, thousands like, um, what's that art, uh, point, pointillism, where you, where you make all of the dots to create the picture, like everybody's a dot, like everybody is a piece of that picture and everybody can help tell that story. And so, um, you know, really focusing on trauma-informed uh, instruction, trauma-informed uh, environments that uh, allow our staffs to gain some professional learning and development uh, regarding trauma. Uh, and then how does that play out for our young people uh, so that we can meet them where they are? I think that is very important. Um, go ahead. I like that uh, point and I, I like to use the, the matrix analogy for them. So if there's, a, there's a, a board and there's all these green dots in the board and one of the green dots is golden and that's Neo, that's the main one. Uh, I am not saying that we are to be Neo but we are absolutely one of the green dots and each one of us has a responsibility. So in the matrix, Morpheus' job is to lead Neo towards understanding and the key maker's job is to find the key that Neo needs to open a specific door. So we need to be like the key maker we need to have our own, and if you are the principal, your job is to elevate the practice of your teachers. If you are this teacher, your job is to have you instruct your students. So everyone, everybody has a responsibility and our job, the, the one thing that is under our control is how to elevate our own practice mm -hmm. so we can provide the best of our students. So if you don't, take care of your health. If you don't exercise, meditate, eat well, practice uh, peace and calm, then when those emergency room doors open and all the screaming and the loudness and the sweat, tears and blood comes at you, then if you cannot play your part as that green dot, then you are not doing your best to serve students. So you have to address you first in order to do that surgery the way that that patient needs it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. You know, and for all those matrix lovers and <laughs> especially I, I have, um, I had to go back and watch all of the matrix uh, uh, movies to just get caught up to this, this last one, but um you know, I, I love drawing parallels to uh, to real life things and making that connection. Um, as as a leader of young people, um, as what if you had the ability to change one thing and um, what currently exists at Northwood, 
Um, and you do, I mean, you're the principal, but if you had, with how things are going, if you had the ability to change one thing, what would it be? I think in working on really fine tuning the empathy levels that students have. And you were talking about social media before, that's the, the, the biggest enemy. And again, I'm in social media. I'm not saying we're against social media, but if a student goes from class one to class two and they open their device and they see there was a shooting in a school, they cannot go into the next class and get to learning, right? And also if the students are educating themselves, meaning that nobody at home, nobody at school, nobody in the world that is a supervisory role or parent role knows what, how they're communicating, with whom they're communicating, then this, we have a student that sends a message and says, oh, this is what I want to say because this is my freedom of speech or how I feel and without any lenses of how the other person is gonna receive it, then they're gonna have as an adult, very similar failures that I had, that I was doing things thinking, oh, this is right. This is what I'm gonna do, mm -hmm. but not thinking about the customer or your teacher or your parent or the people you are serving, how they are taking it. So uh, there's a little cruelty in social media and with jokes, because there is no awareness of how the other person behind that little screen is feeling. So that is one thing that I would really like to uh, enhance. And this is not part of, of any curriculum right now, is how to enhance empathy. So we have a better world because if you have a student that has mastered empathy, for example, by the time they get to high school, right? they're much more willing to have a higher level of confidence because they understand that like Epictetus said, they're only, you need to only focus on the things that you can control. Mm -hmm. So when you have empathy, you can understand that other people are having different lives, experiences and traumas. And therefore you can accommodate that maybe it's not you, but what the other person is going through. Well, thanks for for sharing that um, uh, last last big question, uh, this this whole podcast has been developed off of the the concept of unapologetic leadership, which really focuses on uh, the understanding that if kids are at the center of our decision making, uh, we shouldn't have to apologize for the decisions in which we make that directly impact them. Um, not everything that we do is right as leaders, and I'll be the first to say I've made mistakes along the way, but there's some things that I just want people to get on board because it's the right things for kids. And so if you could talk just uh, briefly about one unapologetic leadership decision that you made. Yes, uh, and I did it recently. Uh, I, um, I am against children getting zeros. Um, and the reason is this. Um, when a student gets a zero, uh, it is virtually impossible for them to get um, 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 the, the, any grade that is satisfactory because it's, it's literally starting from zero. So there's a lot of research uh, on how, for example, uh, if you're going to grade someone from one to five, and 
um, one, two, and three are zeros, then you statistically have two out of five chances of succeeding in the class. And the emphasis then is the grade and it's not the learning. And when you give a student a 50 for a missing assignment rather than a zero, the best consequence you can give to the student is not um, uh, putting them in a firing squad because they have missed, you know, we have to consider pandemic, trauma, exposure, et cetera, but they have an opportunity to get an actual uh, chance to succeed. And because they are then more compelled to do a work. And um, this can be pushing because some people may articulate, no, but the student needs to learn a lesson, right? If they don't do it, they're to receive a zero. We are supposed to take away their home, their, their facilities, everything from scratch, and they have to rebuild. But when a student is exposed to trauma, when a student is exposed to a world where attention is being taken away by marketing and social media, it's more likely that a student is not gonna do an assignment or a student is not gonna have access to learning. And when they have to make up something from such a low point, then there's no um, emphasis in the learning, but in emphasis of trying to breathe when you're drowning. So when equitable grading means that every single letter grade has the same chances of succeeding. So if you have a B, you have 10 points to get to an A. If you have a C, you have 10 points to get to the next grade. But if you have an F, you have 49 points to get to that failing mark. And that is just not equitable grading, but is really a punishment. So that is something that, you know, in the, in the two schools at the beginning, there's some push, not because people are evil and they just want to. It's just that this is how the educational field was designed. Mm -hmm. And in order for us to disrupt the educational system and bring it to the 21st century where we are living in the middle of the pandemic, we need to be the pioneers of that new century. Yeah, well, that's that is uh, the topic of conversation that typically arises when you know grading and grading practices come to the table, and <laughs> sometimes you could put up a boxing ring in a in a uh, a room of of teachers because everybody has their thoughts and uh, and mindset uh, in regard to grading. But um, it's definitely interesting to have or imp interesting and important to have some conversation uh, regarding how students are succeeding, especially. Um, you know, with with the changing environment and many kids and what their their uh, their journey is, right, to go to college and things of that nature. And uh, we don't live in a traditional a traditional system anymore. There's a lot of things that exist uh, in terms of the types of learning in which students are involved in. So, um, man, that's I'm, I'm glad that uh, uh, we have had the ability to kind of talk a little bit, of, a lot of bit about what. Uh, is going on in Northwood, but even just your journey is, you know, I've, just like I said, it's not the, the traditional journey that people have taken into education and have learned uh, from uh, mistakes and 
uh, and have grown from them. So I, I appreciate what you do for, uh, for young people. I appreciate what you do for adults in that, that professional learning space um, and continue doing that. If people wanted to follow you and you know, follow the work that you're doing, how can they find you, um, you know, out on social media? Thank you so much. So I like to think that I'm a good shark in, on Twitter. Uh, I believe <laughs> it is the, one of the best 21st century tools to learning as long as you follow the right people. Um, so my, has, uh, my uh, username is at emartinezedd. And I'm also the host of a podcast called Wisdom and Productivity, which I had the good fortune of interviewing great people and leaders like Marcus Berlin. Uh, and you can find that just by Googling me. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you for uh, sharing that information. Uh, listeners, there you have it. Dr. Martinez, uh, principal of Northwood uh, Middle School. Thank you, Dr. Martinez, for being on the show. It's always great to, uh, to hear from you and to learn from you. Uh, and we will connect again soon. Good luck on the rest of your school year <laughs> with the pandemic um, and keep doing what's best for kids. Thank you. Very, very honored to be here and keep up the good work and inspiring people like us. And let me tell you, you will be Secretary of Education. Mark my words. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. Well, listeners, there you have it. another episode of Unapologetic Leadership. Uh, thanks for listening. Remember to be unapologetically you. Uh, if you want to uh, follow uh, Unapologetic Leadership, you can find it anywhere where you can get your podcast. Um, and if you want to connect or know some educators who would be awesome for the show, please don't hesitate to reach out to me, uh, visiting me at drmarcusbeeland.com. Take care, be well, and be unapologetically you. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of Unapologetic Leadership. You can follow me on Twitter at Marcus J. Bielan, or you can visit me on my website, drmarcusbeeland.com. I would love to connect with you. Remember, take care of yourself. Be well, stay safe, and be unapologetically you.